Good morning. Uh, this morning I'll be reading out of Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. Again he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, uh, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything, uh, those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while, then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And the others are the ones sown among thorns. They, uh, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of, rich, of riches and the desire, desire for other things endure, or enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of God. Thank you, God. You may be seated. Curtis, thank you. You had a long text this morning. Uh, knocked it out of the park, man. Well, hey, good morning, church. Uh, we are so glad that you're here. For those of you who have not gotten to meet, my name is Brian Carroll. I'm one of the other pastors here. And I just want to say kudos to you. Uh, you all powered through the spring forward mess. I was talking with uh, Brian Beebe earlier, and we were just talking about what, why did this even start? I think it was for farmers and things like that when America was a much, a, a much more agricultural uh, society. But now I feel like it's just like, it's just what we do. So we don't have any good reason for it. But anyways, regardless of where you stand on the spring forward spectrum, that's not why we're here this morning. Um, so anyways, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 4, um, if you have not turned there already. And as you're turning, um, I want to ask a question for you all just to think about. As you think about your future, um, where do you hope to be a year from now? Uh, what about five years from now? What about 10 years from now? Um, as I ask that question, um, lots of things probably are flowing through your mind. For some of y'all, I know we have some college students in here or freshly out of college. Um, you're hoping to have a, a, get a good job and, and, and find, be, finally be able to build some security in your life. Maybe you're hoping to, to get married and, and settle down. Um, 
Some of you in here, um, you may hope to be um, getting promoted in your job. You may hope to be debt-free. You may hope to see your kids continue to grow and thrive. Uh, others of you, you may hope to see the Cowboys eventually win a Super Bowl. Uh, I had to throw that in there. Um, good luck. Um, uh, some of y'all might hope to be retired. Um, you know, you've put in your years of work and, and you've worked hard for 30, 40 years and you're ready to enjoy the latter part of your life and, and enjoy your family and, and, and just a season of rest. As I ask this question, again, a lot of answers are probably flowing through your minds as you think about your future, whether it's in the near, uh, it's, whether it's in a couple days from now or a, a de- couple decades from now. But if I had to venture to guess, that most of you in this room, if as I asked that question, probably would not answer in five years from now, ten years from now, I am no longer going to be a Christian. If I had to venture a guess, that thought probably did not cross your mind. Um, and as we think about the last few years, this awareness of this whole deconstruction movement um, has been pretty prevalent in our society. We, we've seen a lot of people who once were followers of Jesus uh, kind of rationalize or uh, think through their faith and, and then eventually walk away and reject it. There's this, this deconstruction movement that we're seeing, but in the all reality, this is not something new. This is not a new, a new thing. In fact, uh, as we think about the beginning of the church era, John in his first letter actually writes this. He says that they went out from us but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, are, that they all are not of us. What John is not saying here, he is not saying that a believer in Christ, those who have put their faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, he is not saying that a person can lose their salvation. He is not saying that. But what he is saying um, that that there have been, there are, it is entirely possible, it is entirely possible for any person to brush aside along Christianity enough, brush alongside Jesus for a long night where it feels like home, but when it came down to it, when pressure comes, when suffering comes, or when whatever comes, they drift away. It is entirely possible to drift and not continue with Christ. And the reality is that those people weren't even believers to begin with. And so as we think about that question, where do we hope to be? And as you think about what John said, um, the, the question for us today is, where are we really? Could that be one of us today? I don't ask this question to strike fear. I don't ask this question to like make you wonder, but I am wanting today because this is the way that Jesus puts on the parable he's sharing today is for us to, con- to consider really, where are we really? Where are our hearts? And, and, and one of the things really that Jesus is going to get at in this parable that Curtis read is that how can we cultivate a culture in our heart where the gospel not only flourishes, but it flourishes for the long haul? It has longevity, it has perseverance, it has the, the, the endurance to continue through all of life's troubles. Or another way to ask this that I think Jesus is going to be getting at is, do we love Jesus 
Or do we just like the idea of Jesus? Do, do we really love him? Do we desire to know him? Do we desire to let him be our Lord? Or have we just found him to be culturally convenient for us? A nice little accessory. Because as, to piggyback off of what we talked about last week, Jesus will not allow us to be neutral towards him. He will not allow us to curate some false version of him that, as, that is antithetical to how he's revealed himself in Scripture. And so these are the questions that we're going to consider today. So we get in verse 1, and we see G, the scene is Jesus is sitting on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. People are, from all over are coming to hear him speak. Some people even say that this might have been one of his larger crowds coming to hear. People that, that he was teaching to, a lot of them may have been hopeful. Hey, is this the Messiah? Is this the one who's coming to save all mankind? A lot of people, I imagine, were also probably skeptical. They probably were, eh, I'm not really sure about this. Some were probably curious. And if I had to venture a guess, some were probably just downright antagonistic. They, they just wanted more reason to, to show why this guy was crazy. So Jesus is, is sharing this per, parable, which a parable is just a story he was using to help to really reveal a deeper truth. A story or a metaphor that was ultimately used to reveal a deeper truth. And so he's sharing this parable of the sower, uh, oh, sorry, of, of the different soils, because he realizes his audience um, where I had a whole spectrum of belief of where their hearts actually were. And so we look in verse 3, and the first word that Jesus says is actually in a command. He says, listen. It carries the same weight that the prophets from, uh, from old, Isaiah or Jeremiah, may have carried um, in that because their words were, ultimately came from the Lord. It had God's authority. And so as he's saying, telling them to listen, he's He's saying it in such a way that in which he carries the authority. And this is the tone that, the Jesus, that Jesus begins his parable. And so the parable goes like this. There was a sower or a farmer. Um, and as he was walking along a property, he was beginning to, to sow some seed. He was beginning to plant some things. And so as he was walking along, um, he, first, so he first threw some seed along the path. Uh, another way to think about along the path, think about throwing seed on cement. If, what's it going to do if you throw a seed on the cement? Nothing, right? Uh, the seed is thrown on the cement, and ultimately what happens to it, birds would come down and snatch it right up. He said other seed was thrown on some rocky soil. And this soil, for the first few inches, was really good. It, it, it could produce some fruit. But once you got below that, rocks, the, the soil is rocky enough to where the roots cannot penetrate and grow deeper. And so the plant would eventually wither and fall away. And then he talks about the third soil, which is the one I think we're most familiar with in West Texas, is the thorn soil, right? We can't go anywhere without seeing those little burrs or thorns or whatever, but you, or mesquite. And so this, soil, this seed, when it's thrown there, it gets easily quick that choked out. It can't thrive because the thorns quickly uh, encapsulate it. And then the last soil is the good soil. It's when it's thrown there, Jesus says, not only does it produce fruit, but it produces fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It, 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 what we're, the picture, he's like, it, it, it grows, it flourishes. And so in this teaching, Jesus is showing the difference between hospitable and inhospitable soils for bearing fruit. Now, before we think that this parable is just about Jesus giving us gardening tips, um, there's actually something deeper, obviously, that we know he's trying to get at. 
Jesus' aim in this parable was not just to like give some agricultural advice, but rather he was trying to pinpoint the reality of where people's hearts might be. This, is, this, this parable is all about showing the kind of soil, the kind of a heart where the gospel, when it's heard, will either flourish or dissipate and fall away. Either it will bear fruit or it won't. Another way to ask or another way to see this is what does the heart actually hear? Whenever someone hears the gospel, whenever someone hears about who Jesus is, what do we actually hear? And I'm not talking about, because here, here's the thing. The, all of that crowd heard Jesus' word. They heard the same parable, but not everyone really heard. Not everybody really understood, because as we see, the majority of the crowd leaves away. Uh, and then in verse 10 through 11, it's just the disciples and a few others. Um, and, and what we see is clear is that it is possible for someone to hear and not hear. Look in verse 11. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for, this is Jesus talking. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's a weird little insert. That's a weird little phrase. That, why would Jesus say that? Why, what is he getting at here? And so, so that verse is actually pulled from Isaiah chapter 6. And in the context of Isaiah, when he was a prophet, he was essentially calling a, a Israel who had their hearts hardened toward God, who had a heart softened and loving their idols. And ultimately, Israel, Isaiah's ministry was about trying to call Israel back to who their God was, to, the, to their God. That they were, he's trying to call them to repentance, call them to seeing that the, the things that they're giving their lives over to ultimately was going to bring death and destruction. And so this is the, this is the quote that Jesus pulls. Um, and, and ultimately, what he's doing in this is that, that he was speaking to a culture in where a lot of people's hearts were hardened. But he, he, the thing is, though, Jesus does not share this parable to blind people um, but rather, he shares it because they were blind. One commentator, he says it like this. He says, Jesus used the parabolic method, not in order to blind them, but in order, in order to make them look again. Not in order to prevent them from coming to forgiveness, but in order to lure them toward a new attention. So Jesus' ministry was all about ultimately helping people see that he was the coming Messiah that the Old Testament prophesied. He was the one coming to bring forgiveness of sins. And he uses these parables to begin helping people see. And some would hear. Some would, would get it. But a lot of others would not. A lot of others would not. Everybody heard the same thing. But believing who Jesus revealed himself to be um, was ultimately the key to their understanding. People would hear, but not really believe. So what is Jesus getting at in this parable? What, what, what are these soils representative of? Like I said, ultimately, each of these soils represent a different way in which people would hear and receive the gospel. Different ways in which people would hear and receive the gospel. And while we don't necessarily live in an agrarian culture, though San Angelo is pretty agrarian in a lot of ways, um, this this parable Jesus gives is incredibly relevant for 21st century America. 
And so Jesus gives warnings about a heart that is hospitable towards the gospel and one that is ultimately inhospitable as well. And so I want to look at each of these. And so first off, we see the seed that was sown along the path. How many of y'all have bird, bird feeders in your house? Just a few of us? Oh, I thought there'd be more. Um, we know if you, the moment you, if those of you who have bird seed, the moment you put seed out, what's going to happen to that seed? Will it ever hit the ground? It might, but it will eventually get snatched up because San Angel is full of pigeons and hogs who will scrounge for anything and get the seed, right? Um, and so what we see, what, what Jesus is getting at here is that the, 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 the seed that is sown along the path, it'll immediately hit the ground. And a lot of times there's this is hard ground, it's a cement ground, and it'll get snatched right up. It'll get picked right up. And Jesus says, ultimately, what this is, it's a person who rejects the gospel. It's someone who hears the gospel and ultimately rejects it. And what's interesting, we see that Jesus says, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word. Here's the thing. What Jesus seems to indicate about this type of person, it's not just a mere intellectual disagreement. It's not just someone who says no to the gospel. But rather, there is a spiritual darkness behind every no. There is a spiritual darkness. There is a blinding from Satan. The last thing that the enemy wants is for the the good news of Jesus coming to save sinners and reconcile us and bring us into a life of true joy knowing him. The last thing that Satan wants is for that message to take root in any person. And so there is not, whenever people reject and say no to the gospel, it's not just an intellectual disagreement, but rather there is a spiritual blindness that is happening. And this could, this could look like just someone's casual rejection, like, no, Jesus isn't for me. Or it can look as, as, as just a pure hatred, a pure hatred, and, and it's an emphatic no towards the gospel. But the reality is both result in the same thing, and that's spiritual blindness. And the scary thing is that we could find ourselves in church, among God's people, and still not care much for Jesus and really, and really reject him and don't, th- and, and don't see a need for him. The hardened person, the rejection of the gospel, it can, it can look like a lot of different things. It doesn't have one kind of profile, but what it does have is a person who ultimately does not see their need for Jesus and rejects him. They hear the word and they say no. But there's something significant that we need to think about this. So he said it's a spiritual, a spiritual problem, a spiritual darkness. Um, I never know. Ultimately requires a spiritual solution. So one of the things you see later on, uh, so this is not in Mark's gospel per se, um, but it's in Luke's gospel. It's the, the disciples at the final Passover meal, uh, and Jesus is sharing uh, dinner with his friends. And he warns Peter about that he was going to be denying him. And, and, and what Jesus says in this moment is pretty significant. It's not only significant to the spiritual solution behind the spiritual problem, but it also shows some kind of endo. He says in Luke 22, verse 31 through 32, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So what does Peter eventually do? He denies Jesus when he's confronted 
by people about who Jesus is. He says, no, I do not know the man. He does this three times. But what we also see Jesus do later, and we see this in John, is that three times Jesus says, hey, do you love me? And he responds, yes. And we see this beautiful picture of redemption. And we see this beautiful picture of, of God, Jesus restoring this broken man, Peter, to, begin, to be a carrier of the gospel. But what we see, what was so interesting, how was he, how was Jesus, oh sorry, how was Peter not sifted? How was Peter eventually a person who rejected the gospel? Jesus says, I have prayed for you. A spiritual problem requires a spiritual solution. And, the, and ultimately, what we see is a, a person who's hardened towards the gospel. Here's the thing. All of us have family members, have friends, uh, have people we love who, who this would be them. Maybe that's you in this morning as well. Here's what we need. It is, it is incredibly important, man, that we share the gospel and that we use words. It is incredibly important that love and grace come along with our words. It is incredibly important um, like I said, that, that, that what we say and how we love coincide with one another. But at the end of the day, those things apart from the power of God cannot change a person's heart. And so what we, what we see the antidote for a person who has the soil is ultimately a, we go to the one who can actually help and have the strength to do something about it. We pray and we go to the one who's, only, who's power enough to take a lost person and help them see because behind every no is a spiritual reality. And behind every yes is the same thing, is the spirit awakening a mind, awakening a mind to see and hear. And so let's not grow weary in praying for those who reject the gospel. But this is the kind of seed that is sown along the, along the path, is somebody who hears the gospel and just says no. But then there's another kind of seed that Jesus mentions uh, in verses 16 through 17. He says, And there are those sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately they fall away. So, so what is Jesus getting at here? And so growing up for me, uh, I was fortunate enough to have a, a great youth group with a lot of really good leaders and friends, some of which I'm still close with today. And for those of us who grew up in, in, in youth group culture, all of us know that the pinnacle of the, of the year was camp, right? We, we, church, I mean, I, I've got some, I don't know about y'all, but I've got some great memories of church camp. But we all know a lot, for those of the, who were in that world, typically you'd have camp, it'd be a lot of fun, but then the last night, before everyone went home, the speaker would give this amazing gospel presentation. Honestly, I don't remember if it was or not, but that's typically the formula. We would all cry. We would, they would all, we'd all promise to never sin again, and we'd go home a new person. Anyone ever have this experience, right? The camp high, the camp fire. And so typically for me, whenever I got home, Usually for the next week or so, I would try really hard to be a good Christian. I would read my Bible. I would try not to look at porn. I would be super Christian around all my non-believing friends. Um, but the reality was, as thing, once things got difficult again, once things got hard again, once things were challenging again, that love, that fire that was there kind of faded. See, the problem was, wasn't, was that ultimately my heart didn't fall in love with Jesus 
but rather just an experience that brushed up against him. See, what Jesus is getting at here is that it is entirely possible. It is entirely possible for us to love the things that Jesus is involved in, but not Jesus himself. It is entirely possible for us to love church things, for us to love small groups, for us to love Bible studies, for us to love worship music, for us to love all the things that embody Christian culture. It is entirely possible for us to love these things, but not actually love Jesus himself. Because when the, a lot of times what happens when the pressures of life come, we fall and wither away. Spurgeon, he says it like this, the religion that is born of mere excitement will die when the excitement is over. Let me say that again. The religion that is born of mere excitement will die when the excitement is over. When suffering or hardship, this is what this, is what this seed represents. When suffering or hardship comes because of Jesus, uh, a person whose who's heart uh, is just kind of likes the things of Jesus but doesn't really love him will ultimately walk away, will ultimately find themselves um, um, not wanting to affiliate with Jesus because it's really hard and it's really uncomfortable. And, and, and we hear this question a lot in our culture, don't we? A lot of times we see people walk away from the faith because of the question, why does God allow suffering? Have we heard this? Have we asked this? We see that, and again, that's a good question for us to engage with, but it's, it's one of those things we, we sometimes have this misunderstanding that when we follow Jesus, he's, he's just out to make my life comfortable and easy, forgetting that the actual way of Jesus is often through suffering, through pain. And when, our, when we don't have a root love for Christ, what will happen when those times come, and they will come, some of you guys might be in that moment right now. Some of you might be out of it. But suffering and pain of this life does come. Pressures do come. And a person's heart that is ultimately not um, love, in love with Jesus, when those times come, they'll fall and walk away. Or a lot of times, we'll, sometimes we'll f- find ourselves falling away um, when there's a level of comfortability in our old way of doing things. Um, comes up again. When we're with, whether we're with family or friends, um, sometimes people's faith will wither away when uh, we're confronted with some our old ways of doing things and we don't really want to walk away from them. It feels harder to do that. The gospel will not flourish in a person, in, in a person if the soil of their heart does not allow Jesus to take a deeper root. And it is oftentimes through pain and suffering in which the gospel root actually goes deeper. So this is the the soil that is um, a rocky soil. It'll bear fruit for a little bit. It'll look like it loves Jesus. But when pressures and pain and suffering comes, we say, no, thank you. And so we, we kind of alluded to this at the beginning, but what we see is that the condition of someone's heart ultimately will be the determinant, determinant if, if they are to receive the gospel. The condition of someone's heart, whether it's a hardened heart or a softened heart, will be what determines if someone actually believes and receives the gospel. And so what we've seen is that some people will just automatically reject Jesus. They hear it and they say no. 
Others of us, some others will say, well, we'll have romanticized ideas of what Jesus is. We'll think that he's a God of comfort and joy, which he is, but we think that he's only those things. And when it gets hard, we walk away. But other hearts, and I think this might be the one where a lot of us might fall prey to, are just bored with Jesus. We are distracted. We've got greater appetites for other things of this world, even neutral things, things that aren't even bad enough of themselves. And we have bought the lie that something that's out there, something of creation, has more to offer than our creator. And here's the thing. We may not actually say that out loud. We may not actually say that as a belief. But oftentimes, we show that we do actually believe that with how we live. And so we see in verse 19, um, Jesus adds, or sorry, sorry, verse 18, Jesus talks about the, the heart that's birthed in the, the soil with thorns. He says, among are the ones sown, um, sorry, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfaithful unfruitful. That word choke literally means to suffocate. When something is suffocated, you are literally taking the life out of it. All the life, all the vibrancy, all the joy, it is literally getting choked out to where there's nothing left. There's nothing left. And what causes uh, 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 the, the gospel to get choked out in our hearts? What does Jesus mention? He mentions three things. He says, the, the cares of the world the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. So you know what is incredibly fascinating to me is that, uh, that whenever you look at weeds, weeds tend to grow without any effort, don't they? Weeds tend to, to flourish and thrive without us having to do anything. I mean, let's, let's address the elephant in, in the room. When you pulled in this morning, you saw that front little rocky area you didn't see the Redeemer sign. You saw this lush, plush, luscious uh, bundle of shrubbery that is poking out of the rocks, right? Side note, if you want to join the building team, we'd love to have you. Um, uh, right? I'm going to tell you right now, that's not planned. Uh, that's not the result of our gardening, but rather they just flourish and happen. We don't have to work very hard to have our joy in Christ robbed from us. Because oftentimes the thief is found in the things that we interact with on a daily basis. Ever found yourself scrolling through social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever your flavor is, only to look up and realize it's been an hour later? Any of us care to admit that maybe we care a little bit too much about our favorite sports teams? Any of us ever find ourselves binging an entire season of The Office in one sitting? Just so you know, I'm using examples from my own life. Distractions, cares, and desires for other things multiplied over time can ultimately find ourselves in the, our love for Jesus being completely choked out. And that multiplied over time can also, help, can also equal us find, trying to find joy in life, in things of the world instead of our creator. Again, these, a lot of these things that choke out the word in us aren't bad enough themselves. 
They're not inherently evil, but the question is, how do we use them? How do we interact with them? Do we, do we look at them to help numb some pain? Do we look at them to kind of fill space? Do we try to grab them at, to, 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 to ultimately try to find some kind of happiness? We are all being discipled by something. And if we let, the, if we let consumption of the world's goods, if we look to the world for life, ultimately that will take root in our souls. And the word of the gospel will get choked out. And the thing is, oftentimes the things that can choke out the joy and affection in Christ, again, they are harmless and can even present, present themselves as good things. It's important that we take inventory of our life, um, our spending habits, what apps we use, what we give our time to, because oftentimes it's in those things that we see the word being choked out of us. When riches, social status, hobbies, running, politics, you name it. When these things become utmost in our affections, Christ will get choked out. And when he gets choked out, some may walk the road. Some may walk the road of complete deconstruction and walking away from the faith. But many others will play the religious game their whole life and seeing Jesus as in just a convenient accessory and not Lord. And both lead to the gospel being choked out to where it has no longer any relevance in your life. And so the reality is, if we're honest, the reality is each one of us are prone to this soil of our heart, uh, to have an inhospitable heart towards the gospel. Each one of us are prone to care more about the world of things the world has to offer than Jesus. Many of us are prone to, to cower when we, things get hard, to ask God why. We're prone to love our sin more than Jesus. Um, if we're honest with ourselves, we can say each of these things are true. So who is the one that actually bears the good fruit? Who is the one? What is the heart that is ultimately hospitable towards the gospel? Ultimately, the one who actually hears and believes. The one who hears and believes. And who are the ones who hear and believe the gospel? As John says, uh, John the Baptist says, as he's ushering in the ministry of Jesus, he says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. How do we bear fruit in our lives? How do we, how do we have a life in which we flourish, let the gospel flourish? It's not try harder, do better. It's not clean yourself up. It's not you know, just, just muster up the confidence and just do the right thing, plow ahead, even if you don't feel like it. Fruit will bear in the heart of, of a person when we believe what Jesus has done, when we believe that Jesus, he died on the cross. He rose again, dealing with our sins once and for all, dealing with the thing that separated, him, separated us from him. When we put our faith in, in Christ and believe in him and repent of our own way. When we believe this message, ultimately what we will see is a heart in which it will bear fruit. Because when the gospel is truly heard, 
it will lead to a life in which we long to know Jesus more. It's interesting, when you look in verse 20, both the word, he says, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. The word hear and bear fruit are both in the present tense. Meaning what? Meaning that um, the gospel isn't just a one-time thing, but for the gospel to bear fruit in our lives, it's this ongoing reality that we need Jesus. It's this ongoing belief that we need Jesus. And we show our need for Jesus when we repent and turn from our own ways and look to him. The gospel is not something we graduate from, but rather it is something we rely on every single day. We need the grace of Jesus every single day. And this is what it means when we profess Christ. This is what a good, the good soil, this is what the good soil of our hearts, um, this is the kind of soil that will bear fruit. It's when we realize our need and we go to Jesus every day. And so the thing is, when, when, the, when we rightly hear the gospel, when we rightly believe, what it will lead to is a life of repentance. And why we need repentance is because repentance is this ongoing reality, um, this ongoing thing that we need. We realize that we have, are all prone to doing our own thing. We're all prone to wanting uh, to live our own ways, to live out our own desires. And when we repent, we're realizing, Lord, I want to do this, but you know what? Your way is better. And so keeping up with repentance is what bears fruit in our life. So, so, so the reality is, these, we, these soils um, that, we, that we read about, that Jesus is talking about, this isn't a personality test. There, it's not asking ourselves, which soil are you? But rather, what it is asking us is to think about, are, are, is it possible for me to get choked out by the cares of this world? Is it possible for me to, not, to walk away from Jesus when it gets hard? Is it possible and they're not meant to be identity markers, but rather they're meant to be these little warnings on the dashboard to realize, hey, is this true of me? And here's the beautiful reality. If we realize it, if the Spirit is doing the work in us and showing us that, man, I do care too much about this thing, or I do have a hard time when things get hard, when, when the Spirit is helping and shining light in our hearts that those things are, are, are true about us, that's the grace of God causing you to go to Him. And that's where fruit is born. And so, so, Ben, you guys can go ahead and come on up. But here's the reality. If repentance is not part of our life, if, faith in Christ is, if our faith in Christ is not um, matched with a heart that is continually repenting, continually turning from our own way to God's way, you will fall away. You will get scorched, choked, and become apathetic. Um, and again, it may look like a full-on, like uh, leaving the faith, but a lot of times it'll just be a slow fade. But what Jesus says in John fifteen five, the promise is that if we abide in Him, if we abide in Him, He will bear fruit. Repentance is a gift of the gospel that ultimately shows um, that we are a people who need Jesus. And the more we recognize our, recognize our need for Jesus, our hearts will become softened to his word. Our heart will become softened to his way. 
And the hope is that when we continue to look uh, to Jesus, and how we have our hearts continually um, being shaped by him, the soil of our heart, the roots uh, that, the, that, that the gospel is sown in our lives will grow deeper and deeper. And that's the hope for us. The hope for each one of us is that for years and decades to come, that we find ourselves not growing hardened and cold to, towards the gospel, but rather we find ourselves seeing our need for it more and more. We see, find ourselves having our need for Jesus for more and more. And so it's important that we take inventory of our souls and we ask ourselves these honest questions. Allow the Spirit to, to actually... Uh, Invite the Spirit in as I'm asking these questions and, 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 and be honest with yourself. Are there any cares of the world right now that you feel like might be choking you out? Is there anything that you've put uh, too much hope in? Has a good thing become an ultimate thing? Is there any sin in your life that you're having a hard time confessing or that you really just want to ignore? Have you brought the lie that something of the creation is going to give you something that only the creator can? Is your heart a hospitable environment for the gospel? Are you still tempted to, to, to accept Jesus on your own terms instead of uh, accepting him as he's revealed himself in his word? So the beautiful thing is when we come to the table each week and take communion, However you answer those questions, if you are a believer in Christ, and if you are a believer in Christ, you are welcomed at this table regardless of how you answer that. Because what we believe is when we, uh, we, we yeah, what we believe is when Jesus, when Jesus died on the cross and spilt his blood for us and he broke his body for us, and when we eat the elements uh, at the table, we're essentially saying, Lord, that ultimately, you are the one who can help and change me and fix me. You are the one who can forgive me. You are the one I need. And so we get to come to the table regardless of how we ask those questions because ultimately Christ did the work that we need to to come. And so my hope for us today is that we would see that life is ultimately found when we come to Jesus. Life is found in him. Our hearts, a heart that is uh, ultimately shaped by the gospel, a heart that, is, that allows the gospel to flourish is one in which we look to Jesus. We look to him for our, as for our life. We look to him for our joy, our peace, our satisfaction. We look to him for all things. And when we repent and believe, we have a heart that is ready to just bear fruit, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. The gospel will grow continually in our life. It will flourish in our life when we see our ever-growing need for our Savior. And my hope for us today is that we would have ears to hear.